Today is the culminating message because it ends with the feast. In every section of the church, there is a table. And on that table is a symbol of a feast. And I will get back to that more in just a moment. But behind me is the greatest symbol. This table for the last few weeks has been empty. It's just been a plain wooden table. To my left has been the chair that symbolized the place that the lover of prostitutes was invited back to. To my right has been the chair that symbolized the the empty spot that the elder brother refused to come to. He refused to sit at the same table with the lover of prostitutes. And we studied them. We've looked at the story of the younger brother and we put his story into context with the story of the elder brother. And then we put the story of the two brothers into context of the entire parable. Because Jesus started out by having a conversation with tax gatherers and sinners Then he was rebuked by the Pharisees for sitting down with people like that. And so Jesus tells them stories to help them understand the heart of God. The story of the sheep, the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sons. So we take the story of the two lost sons and we fit it into the entirety of the chapter. But we're not done yet. Because we need to see the entire chapter of the book of Luke and its message as it relates to the entire Bible. You see, Jesus was so immersed in Scripture that when He gave us Luke 15 and He told these stories, He was giving us the essence of the whole biblical storyline in one simple, vivid parable. If we see, we understand. When we see Luke 15, we're getting a 30,000 foot view of the entire Bible. It's almost like the Bible in a nutshell when we unpack the meaning of what he's saying about the gospel and the love of God and the theme of redemption as it's woven through the entirety of Scripture. When we study the Scripture, when we study Luke 15, we learn about the human condition. We learn about God's divine solution. And we learn about the new communion that He has invited us into. I want us to talk first of all this morning about the human condition. As is revealed all through the Bible, but specifically as we have studied in the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. The scripture says in the book of Luke chapter 15, verse number 13, it talks about the younger son and it is a representation of the human condition. Not long after the younger son got together all he had, He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The younger brother's sin turned him into an exile from his home. He had disgraced his family. He had disgraced his entire community. And they would have all been outraged for a young man to ask his father for his portion of the estate before the father dies was to wish his father dead. And in that culture, men like this were exiled or they were stoned. In this case, the younger son had to get far away with his money and that's exactly what he did. When he did so, he became an image of the human race. For we have been made for a life in the Garden of Eden in the same way that this young man was made for a life in the palace as a son of the Father. He chose to do exactly the opposite of what the Father desired in the same way that Adam and Eve told to do exactly the opposite. They were told to do one thing and the nature on the inside of them did something completely else and they were separated from Eden in the same way this son was separated from the Father's house. 
Our true home as humanity is in the presence of God. But we have lost our home because of sin. And like Adam and Eve exiled out of the Garden of Eden, and like this younger son by his own choice exiled out of the father's house, we as the human race, because of our sin and our searching and our self-fulfillment, have been exiled. We are all exiles from the place that brings us the greatest joy, the presence of God. We are all longing for that one place called home. You see, home is the place that truly fits us. It is the place that suits us. It's a place where we are known to serve God and to know Him and to live in His presence, to enjoy His love and His beauty. However, because we wanted to be our own Savior and Lord, you see, this is what happened. The younger son decided he, didn't, he was chafing under the authority of the father's house. He decided to do it his own way. And in doing it his own way, he chose to find his own way into eternity. He chose to be his own Savior and Lord. In this same way, the elder brother was guilty of the same sin, though through different ways. He was guilty of sin by being bad. He was guilty of sin by being good. He wasn't being good to please the Father. He was being good to control the Father. He was trying to earn himself a spot at the table instead of trusting God to redeem him and save him. His goodness didn't come out of a transformed heart. His goodness came out of desire to control the Father. In that essence, through his religion, through his moral service, he was trying to earn his way to God. In a sense, he was becoming his own Savior. Humanity has created its self-salvation project. We are individuals in this country who pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And the mystery of the gospel to all of us is that even on our most righteous days, the Bible says we are like filthy rags. It is an assassination on human dignity. It is assassination on human self-dependence to say that we can do nothing to save ourselves. And yet that is what the gospel says. It is by no work of your own, but through grace only, so that no man can boast or brag of the righteousness of God in his life. It is our attempts to be our own saviors, whether the, the attempt of the younger brother or the attempt of the elder brother. In that process, we have lost hold of God. And we wonder in a world and an experience that has left us longing for home. Uh, the German philosopher Heidegger called it unheimlichet, which means eeriness or uncanniness. It literally means to wander far away from home. He is referring to the anxiety or the spiritual emptiness that comes after never feeling at home in this world. I look at the world I live in. I look at the world I grew up in. And I can tell you it doesn't matter how much money somebody has. It doesn't matter what stuff they have. Whether all is well financially or all is erect financially. Whether it looks like they have a wonderful family or not. In the heart of humanity, you don't have to look far to see it. There is an emptiness. They can have all the things that humanity strives for and yet there is still this longing. You can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their speech. It explains the restlessness of humanity. One group sang it. You know it well. I can't get no satisfaction because there is no way in humanity. It doesn't matter if you go after sex, drugs, money. When you get everything you've gone after, your life is still empty because humanity was not created for all of that. It was created to be at home in the presence of God. But in an attempt to be our own Savior, we have exiled ourselves from the presence of God. This longing to be at home the world does not address the needs of the human heart. We long for a love that cannot be lost to escape from death, from triumph of justice over wrong. But wrong things will never be righted in this world here apart from finding our place with God. When the younger brother came to his senses, verse 17 says, 
He realized that he needed to go home. But how could he do that? He realized he was an outcast. So why would they receive a man who had made the decisions that he made as an outcast? But because there was such a longing for home, I can imagine the argument going on in his mind that day. He realized that the servants of his father were cared for better than this one who was his son. He didn't even want a place at the table. He just wanted to be put in the bunkhouse of the servants. And yet his heart so longed for home, he didn't care whether or not he got back to the table. All he wanted to do was be under the watchful eye of the father. And the longing for home sent him out of the pigsty searching for a place even if it was a slave on his father's plantation. In the same way, the younger brother longed for home. We have also learned that there are religious people who have been in church for years. I've talked to people in the last few weeks who have been in church for years, who said to me, Pastor, I've never really understood the gospel. I thought I was saved by my morality. I thought I was saved because I quit drinking and I quit smoking. I thought that's the reason God saved me. You need to hear me. I will say it again. God did not start loving you the day you repented. God was loving you long before you ever repented. It is not His. It is not your repentance that caused God to love you. Romans 5.8 said He was giving His love towards you while you were still sinning. God was loving you but what we have done is created a religion of works that tries to earn a spot at the table and we have people all over America who are good moral people who go to church and do all the right stuff this brother never did anything wrong and yet they have never come into genuine relationship with God and those who have come into genuine relationship with God if we are not checking our spirit we are doing everything right but for all the wrong reasons not to bring pleasure to God but to control God We need to fall in love with God all over again. In the same way, this man's immorality leaves him longing for home. This man's religiosity leaves him wanting more. There are so many religious people who have shirked off Christianity saying, the church isn't what I need. Christianity is is not what I need. The reason is because they've been sold a bill of goods. What America has shown is Christianity is not Christianity. America has showed the world religion, but the gospel tells us about a Christianity that is the home for the heart of all of humanity when we find the gospel for what it is we find home the parable tells us about the human condition it also tells us about the divine solution in verse 31 and 32 it's the end of the parable the father has gone out you've heard me say this over the last few weeks it's amazing at the end of the parable, that the lover of prostitutes is in there having a feast and the religious one is left out in the cold and the father's having to go plead with him because he refused to sit at the same table with the lover of prostitutes. And yet it's the grace of God that causes him to go out and plead with the man who's lost in his religion. Come to the table. Come to the table. All that I have is yours. That conversation continues in verse 31. And he said, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. The centerpiece of this entire story, the centerpiece of Luke chapter 15 is the feast. The father throws a feast. There's music and dancing and the greatest of delicacies. And the fatted calf was killed to mark the reconciliation and the restoration of this son, the lover of prostitutes. 
And he has said that when the younger son came home, the father said, we had to celebrate. Now that's amazing to me. Why would the father, pleading with the religious brother to come back in and say, but son, we had to celebrate. Why was there no choice in the matter? Why was the feast so important? Because in the Old Testament, meals ratified covenants. Meals celebrated victories. Meals marked special occasions and transitions. There were meals at births and weddings and funerals. A feast established the mark of the greatest event in in Jewish history. The Passover, the deliverance of God's people from the nation of Egypt was celebrated by the Passover. And thousands of years later, Jews still celebrate what is known as the Passover meal because the greatest events of history in that culture were celebrated with meals. So why are meals so important? Because in ancient times, Meals were prolonged affairs that lasted into the evening, usually until bedtime. There was little to do in that time without electricity when the sun went down after a strenuous day of manual labor. So the evening meal became a time of relaxation and intimacy where the center of family life came together at the end of a day and it was a practice of family intimacy. We don't need people from the first century in our culture to tell us this, to grasp it all. It's at a meal that we feel the most at home. In a meal, your body practically is getting what it needs, the pleasure and the nourishment of food and rest, but your heart is also getting the nourishment it needs when a meal happens with people you love. Friendship and laughter. Even today, if you have a family reunion or there is a homecoming, I can probably guarantee you it will be celebrated in some capacity around a meal. And it's at those great feasts that no matter what else is going on in your lives, you feel the most at home. The feast of this parable and the feast told about in the Bible tell us that one day God is going to bring us home. Jesus said in Matthew 8 and 11, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Because of Jesus Christ being the true elder brother, God will someday make this evil world home again. He's going to wipe away death and suffering and tears and will give us bodies that run and do not grow weary. One day we're going to arrive at that place. But until we arrive there, there has to be a way for us to get a taste of home while we are pilgrims in the middle of this journey. The younger brother never expected to be brought back into his family. He did not expect to feast. He had sinned. And not only had he sinned, he had wished his father dead. And then he goes squanders his father's money, which is now his part of the estate. His money is gone for times of prostitutes and fun. And the Bible says he wasted it with wild living. He never expected to be restored back to a place of sonship. That's what he got. And the elder brother is mad. Why is the elder brother mad that the father would go through the expense of this lavish meal and throw a feast for this younger brother? Because meals symbolized acceptance. A meal symbolized relationships. And in that time, religious leaders refused to allow believers to eat with sinners. To eat with someone was to receive them virtually as family around the same table. 
How could you sit down at a meal with someone that had rejected God? Besides that, didn't everyone know that you become like the people you love and you spend the most time with? If you eat with sinners, it was reason among the religious crowd that you would become just like them. The Jewish dietary laws of the Old Testament fenced in the rules so that it was quite effective at keeping the Jews from being polluted by the pagan practices of their neighbors. In fact, during the time, there was a significant period of time between the writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the book of Matthew and the New Testament. And in between the New and the Old and the New Testament, there was a period of time in Jewish history where the laws became more stringent about what you ate and who you ate with to keep the Jewish families close together and separated from their pagan neighbors. So Jesus comes on the scene in an era of heightened stringency about meals. And you can understand now, in the beginning of Luke 15, while the Pharisees, the keeper of religious values among the people, look at Jesus and see Him eating with these sinners and tax collectors. And they are amazed, angered. Jesus shattered what they thought about the gospel because He ate with the wicked and the marginalized. How can He do this? How can sinners be invited to the feast of the Father? And you understand the human condition. And you understand God's divine solution to that condition. It helps you understand what genuine communion is. You see, Jesus left His home. Philippians 2 I don't have time to read it all this morning, but Philippians 2 says that Jesus was at the right hand of the Father and He was willing to step aside from His majesty, from His splendor, from heaven, and He wrapped Himself in human flesh. In a few weeks, we will celebrate Christmas. And when you look at that baby in swaddling clothes at every nativity that you see, let it be a reminder to you that Jesus left the supernatural presence of an almighty God in heaven and He was willing to stoop to the level of becoming one of us. He left His true home and wandered without a home. Matthew eight twenty, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. And this God who left His real home to become a man and wander this earth without a home, is finally crucified, not even in the city, outside the city gates, as a sign of exile and rejection. The writer of Hebrews understand this when he said in Hebrews 13, 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals to the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through His own blood. Jesus was exiled. And it was the exile that we deserved. He is alienated and cast away so that we could be brought home. He went into exile to reach the exiled. Even on the cross, as He hung there in exile outside the city gates, left the splendor of majesty, became a man, wandered without a home, crucified outside the gate, and while in exile, He said, My Father, why have You forsaken Me? He took the full weight of the human condition 
upon his own shoulders so that he would understood, he could understand what it was to be separated from home so that he could understand that spiritual emptiness and nausea in the heart of humanity as it feverishly searches for acceptance somewhere looking for peace in its soul. He knew it at that moment. He felt that emptiness. My Father, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we wouldn't be. He was cast out of the family so that we could be invited back in. When you look at the parable, you find out Jesus calls younger brothers to repent. He doesn't just sit down at a table and eat with them for the case of inclusiveness. He calls them to defy convention and repent. See, there's some people that take this part of the gospel, the gospel of grace. And a lot of pastors and a lot of churches just think it is cool because the gospel talks about the church has so erred in its era of separation that church folks don't have any relationships with unchurched people. We don't have churches that let people come and belong before they believe. We make people think they got to act like us, look like us, and before they can ever be a part of our fellowship, before they can ever worship with us, before they can ever sit beside us in the pew. And we have erred so far that way that a lot of people think it's cool just to hang out out with the unchurch as a sign of status but Jesus didn't just hang out with them he became their friend and when he earned the right to speak in their life he spoke the truth in love he didn't just sit down at the table for inclusiveness yes that was part of it but the reason for the inclusiveness was to show them what real love does and real love Builds bridges, not walls. And that bridge is a bridge so that these people could find their way back home. You see, what we call the Lord's Supper, communion, you came from a liturgical background, you call it Holy Communion or Eucharist. It's the foretaste of the great feast at the end of time. Notice the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the reason Luke 15 is a picture, a snapshot of the Bible. In the same way, the parable of the prodigal ends with the feast. What was lost in the Garden of Eden is going to be restored by the end of the Bible. And at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of time, all of the saints of God are going to gather around a table and Jesus is going to be at the head of that table and He's going to have a cup and all of the saints of eternity are going to sit down and have a new community in heaven. It's the feast of the Father to sit at the communion table today. These little tables are just pictures of the big table. I've seen a picture from home of my family that's got a, it's a picture of a table at the end. And the table has got place settings on it and, and it, this, the clouds around it look like it's in heaven and it goes into infinity. I mean, as far as you can see into that picture, there's this endless table that pictures the time and the place where the child of God from ages, those who have called upon Him, not their own Savior, not their own Savior by doing it their own way, or their own Savior by their immorality, but those who have trusted the grace of God to save them have a spot at that table. And when we take of communion together, it is a prophetic foreshadowing of that day when we will sit around that table. To sit at that table of communion with the Father. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be repentant. So that means anybody can come. And guess what? 
a lot of people that you wouldn't imagine have come. Somebody asked me at my grandfather's funeral, what do you think your grandfather's doing in heaven right now? They went through all the scenarios about what he's doing. And because he preached heaven so hard to get to and hellfire and brimstone and judgment, I thought, you know, the thing he's probably doing is walking going through going, wow, you made it? You made it? You don't, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be repentant and broken. Those who choose to come to these tables have a place at that table. At the end of the parable, there is the feast of homecoming. And so too, at the end of the Bible, there is the greatest feast ever of homecoming. The feast Jesus spoke about where the saints will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and they will come from the east and the west. Think of it like this. The ultimate son, not the son in the parable, but the son of God who was dead, and cut off, and is now alive again. In the same way the son in the parable was lost in, in his sinfulness and he, he came back alive again and there was a celebration. The ultimate son went into the pits of sin, though he never sinned, and took upon the sin of humanity to the point he was exiled, and he has been resurrected from that exile, and he is alive again, and because of that, it demands a celebration. And every time I take of communion, I am celebrating the grace of God that initiated me at the table. But I am celebrating the resurrection of the ultimate elder brother who has gone before me, so I too will be resurrected with him. That's why it's a celebration. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. Doesn't matter what race or class or background, any repentant sinner can come and be a brother or a sister because of the death and resurrection of our true elder brother who took exile and punishment on himself so that we could be welcomed home at the table. The death and the resurrection of the Son and the love of the Father create a new community of men and women who regularly break bread together to celebrate the new life and communion, union that we have through Jesus Christ. I'm going to say something that defies a lot of talk in our culture. Regardless of what some people say, it is not enough to have an individual personal relationship with God through Christ. Yes, you can be saved because of individual confessions of sin. But when I read the Bible, biblical Christianity was never meant to be an individual religion. It was a religion of community. A religion of relationship. Personal study, private prayer, television Christianity alone was never intended to replace assembling of yourselves together. Something supernatural happens when believers of like precious faith come into a place like this with all of our chinks and all of our failures and even our own self-righteousness and we come to an environment like this and we have a place of vulnerability, a place of transparency and there are some younger brothers among us. Yeah, there are lovers of prostitutes here and there are some elder brothers that look down their religious noses at condensation with other people who sit on the other end of the table. They're all 
here. But the reality is we're all in the need of God's grace. And when we understand that, Somebody said to me that went to another church, I can't go to that church there, I fight all the time. I said, that's good, that means you're getting to be like family. Community is messy. It's messy. Because humanity is messy. Jesus didn't come to give us all straight edges, He came to get messy. The reason salvation in the Bible is communal is because whether you want to admit it or not, we need each other. And there's something about God I cannot know apart from you. You have to be an active part of the feast, the new community, the family of God. This is where together we become conformed into the image of who the one who did all this for us. I just... I just want to invite you home today. That's all I want to do. You may have been serving God all your life, but there may be a restlessness in your soul because your religion hasn't completed you. It's because you're looking for home. The human race is a story of exiles longing for home. Always traveling and never arriving. Always searching and never finding. And the gospel is a story of exiles from Adam and Eve all the way to the end of the book centered on Luke 15. A story of exiles who have a place at the table, who find their way back home because the only one that didn't deserve it was exiled on our behalf. He built a bridge, not a wall, so that you and I had a place at God's table. And the thing that has been revelation to us when we started this journey a few weeks ago, we all knew the elder brother or the younger brother, the lover of prostitute, needed to repent. We realized that there are a whole lot of elder brothers that have been blinded by their religion. The amazing thing is when Jesus told this parable to refute the self-righteous Pharisees, the only one left out of the feast at the end was the elder brother. It ended with the brother standing in the yard and the lover of prostitutes at the table. So when I invite you home today, I'm not just inviting the immorally, the morally impure. I'm inviting the religious who have not found peace in their religion. Whose relationship with God is obligation and duty and drudgery. There is no love and there is no life. There is no joy. Come home. There's not a human being alive who somewhere at the level of their heart does not long to be home. I don't know. This concept of home has kind of been something for me to work through. Because home to me has not always been the pleasant thought. My home life was shambles. The reason I love my grandfather so much is because he became the dad to me he didn't have to be. Because my home life and the dysfunction of my immediate family was horrific. And because of the pain of the sexual abuse in my past and the dysfunction of my parents' marriage and alcoholism of my father who was a backslidden preacher, I wanted to get out of that little bitty farm town. 
black soil, rice and cotton and muddy water. I spent my young life trying to get out of there. And I've spent my adult life trying to get back. No, not back to that geographic location, but back to that place in my heart that longed for a home that never existed. I went into promiscuity and I I went into drugs and alcohol and did all the things I did because I wanted to be accepted. I was trying to find a home with this crowd. I was trying to do the right thing with that crowd. All I really wanted, now that I know the language and I know what my heart was aching for, I just wanted to be home. There's a generation of young adults and teenagers that are searching with everything they can pleasurably get their hands on. And it's a symptom of the greater issue of the human heart. They just want to be home. They tried church, and churches were full of elder brothers, but they didn't find home. I want, you know, the, the, the day I came to faith in Christ, I know this sounds stupid. But the greatest joy in my life at that moment was not that I was even going to heaven, I was liberated from living to please other people. I I had acceptance. What my peers thought about me wasn't as important anymore because the only one who ever gave a lasting verdict on my life had already rendered his verdict and it was forgiven. And when I came to Christ, I was home. People get confused. when They see my devotion to the church. People have even questioned my motives in the past. When I've done crazy, extravagant things of giving and they wondered why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because my life found home in the family of God. And the ache in my heart, my heart found its rest when I found Christ. Yeah, the day I walked the altar. There were plenty of elder brothers and their self-righteousness that said, why is that teenage drunk in our altar? Because I had, I reeked of alcohol. But there are a few people who understood the gospel and put their arms around me. And one young man said, I don't care what time of night, what time of day, when heartache comes and addiction comes, you call me. I found in that community home. I've given my life to this. Home is not a destination. It's an understanding. Community today is about being home. I want to explain the seriousness of about what we're about to do. It'll take a few moments, but I ask you to respect, I ask you to respect the dignity of what's about to happen. In every section, there are tables. There's a basket with bread that symbolizes the broken body of Jesus. 
There's a cup that symbolizes his shed blood. And the whole meal symbolizes a small representation of the meal of the parable, the feast. Because a repentant, lost son had come home. And it looks to the day when we will all be with him at his table in eternity. And have the great feast. This morning when I prayed about this, I felt that the significance of... We're, we're, we're literally... We're going to come to the table today. I'm going to tell you exactly how we're going to do it in a minute, but we didn't want the ushers to serve you communion today. I want you to come home this morning. I want you to come to the table. I want you to find your place. I don't care if you sit in the younger brother's side or you, 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 you're, you're the elder brother. There's a grace in this room that's calling us home. And I'm going to tell you the march to the front of this building to get the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is significant to me as walking the aisle at a Billy Graham crusade. Because when you come to the table, whether you've done it all your life, you're coming to the table as a sign of a new commitment to a new community. Because communion is not just about what I have with God, it's about what I have with His people. And there are people in this room today who have never been believers in Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, when the church family begins to come get communion, if you want to serve Jesus Christ, you, you, want, to, you want to commit your life to Him, I'm asking you to consider coming to the table the same thing as answering an invitation, or praying the sinner's prayer. I believe there are people who are going to come to Christ today because they're invited to the table. This is not some small matter. For, for, for Jesus to sit down and eat with these people means He accepted them. You say, but pastor, i got all this junk in my life. I don't need to come to that holy, reverent thing. that You come like you are. And trust Him. But you just you don't have to be perfect to come to His table. You just have to be repentant. Those of you that have been like me, you've been in church for a long time. I want you to find your way to a table this morning. Recommit your heart back to God. The way we're going to do this this morning, and we want everybody when we stand in a moment that's going to come and take communion. And this is open to anybody. I have to be a member here. If you have a repentant heart and want to trust Jesus with your life, you're invited to our table, His table. There's a table in front of your section, and if everybody will exit from where they are to their right, no matter where you're seated in the building, if you will exit to your right and make one line across the front of the table, take a cup and a piece of bread and return the opposite direction, back to your seat. It will not be chaos. And what you need to understand is there are going to be people coming to the table today who are doing more than coming to the table. They're coming to Jesus. 
There are prodigals that are coming back home today out of the pigsty. There are people that have never committed their life to Jesus that are coming to the table. And it's not just a menial little piece of wafer in a little cup. It is a commitment to trust Jesus with their eternity. And it's what makes it matter. It's what makes it matter. The cup is for you to keep. The cup is made out of olive wood from Israel and it's to be set on your desk or in a place in your life that when you look at that cup, you take it with you. You put it somewhere. And every time you look at it, it reminds you he was exiled so that I could be invited to the table. He was forsaken so I didn't have to be. There's a new community of forgiven men and women at a table of a righteous God. It means, that cup means, I found home. No longer wondering or wrestling. I've been accepted. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? I want our service hosts to take their positions today. And I'm going to ask you when you get the elements to grab them and take them to your respective seats and just hold them for a moment and we're going to take together we're going to worship so while you wait if you worship it creates an atmosphere to make this moment meaningful people are going to exit to your right in a line make your way to the table grab a wafer and a cup they have juice in them so be careful and make your way back to your seats And when all who desire to find their place at the table come, we're going to pray. We're going to take this meal together before we leave. Would you begin to make your way to the table? God's inviting you to come home today. In my heart.